right, we are going to be uh, starting this week going through this book with the bright red cover called The Dynamic Heart in Daily Life. And uh, even though it is primarily geared as a book to help people think through uh, counseling, there are a lot of practical things, I think, in this book that tie into subjects like why do we do the things that we do? How can we properly change and grow in our spiritual lives? Is the Bible adequate to help us work through the details of life? And so, um, we'll revisit some of the themes that we went through um, earlier. I'm trying to remember if it was... Uh, I'm not going to guess because I can't remember exactly. We went through some subjects related to biblical counseling that were tied into a Bible Institute class that I taught. This book is approaching things a little bit more uh, philosophically at first, and then it gets into some more practical issues. So the question in the introduction that's being asked is somewhat, why do we do the things that we do? How do we perceive the way that God has made us? And how does that then affect sort of the, the, the process by which things take place in our lives? And so first of all, look at this first quote. Our hearts are living things and therefore changing things. No doubt people are dynamic creatures. And so the question I wrote here is, can we understand ourselves? What do you think? Our motivations, our actions, our words, can we really truly understand why these things are the way that they are? Okay. Jim, what did you say? I said, I think so. I think you can understand this one, then you might be another story. Okay. Okay. And Jonathan, what were you saying? Okay, good. So both of those are important points. So it is possible we need the right source of help in, in evaluating all these sorts of things. What are some challenges to understanding ourselves? Yeah. Okay. Okay, the deceitfulness of heart, the heart, the reality of sin. What else? What are some other things that we have to work through in understanding ourselves? Okay, incorrect perceptions. It's easy for us to, I mean, think about what Paul says. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. Sometimes that's our problem. Sometimes our problem is we think of ourselves less than we ought to think because we forget, for example, that we're made in God's image. So we can jump back and forth between those two extremes. Uh, the next quote describes some of this tension, some of this um, back and forthness of our lives. We can feel something so strongly at one time only to find that feeling gone a moment later. Has this ever happened to you? This is the most important thing in the world. And then a week later, you're like, why was I so worked up about that thing? Why did I even care about that? Why, why is that important, you know? We know what it is to give full mental assent to the truth of something, but act as if it did not matter. Of course the Bible says that I should love my wife. Why did I just yell at her, you know? Or... Of course the Bible says that this thing is sin. Why did I just do it? I know it's wrong. We go back and forth. 
We can recognize that we ought not desire a certain object, but go on wanting it anyway. Why shouldn't I want that thing? Because God says it's wrong, or it's the wrong time, or it's the wrong way of getting it. But I still want it. That is the, the up and down, the back and forth of our hearts. We are a mystery to ourselves. If God saves us, do we stay the same or do we change? Should we change? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How does it happen? How do we change? Okay. By, by doing some of the things that God has made as pathways of His grace like we've been talking about. What else? Sure. Power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Word of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. The next uh, quote there says, By faith people receive Christ's righteousness and progressively manifest it in the dynamic functions of their hearts. Where a heart once dynamically responded in fleshly ways, by faith it dynamically responds in righteous ways. Consequently, the Bible is central to the change process as faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, according to Romans 10, 17. He uses this word dynamic a lot, primarily to try to capture the idea of the complexity, the changing nature, the fact that it's a, a living thing. It's not just like, you, if you read a book, they talk about static characters and dynamic characters, right? So static characters are the ones that sit there and they start out, they always do the right thing, and they end. They always do the right thing. You don't see any progression in what they do, for example, in the, in the course of the story. But if you think about, like the story of Jacob in Genesis, right? He starts out, and he's a bad guy, right? He lies, he deceives, he manipulates, and then you come to the end of his life, God's done a work in him. He's a dynamic character. Things have been changed in his life. Those are some of the things he's trying to capture through this. One of the questions that we have to continually come back to is this one. Is the Bible sufficient to help us change and grow? Like, do we need the Bible plus some other stuff, or do we need the Bible? What do you guys think? Okay, give me an example. Right. Okay. 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 Sure, sure. I, I guess maybe I should I should um, I should ask it this way. There are people who will say that we should read their book because it has the keys to success in blank, finance, marriage, parenting, all those sorts of things, and they're getting their ideas not necessarily from the Bible. So should we be open to their idea as being maybe the key to success? Or should we say that since it's not from the Bible, the Bible should be the starting place for us to, to change, to grow, to work through all those sorts of things? <laughs> right, right. So people, I think, sometimes... Um, feel like maybe the Bible is not relevant or it's hard to understand or something like that, it seems a lot easier if the guy over here says, here's five steps to 
having an obedient child. And the, the, the challenging thing is sometimes those five steps work, right? At least in the short run. Uh, particularly the more that they coincide with biblical principles. They may have come up with these five steps and think that they've come up with something new, but then the, the reason that they work, at least on the surface, is because it's following you know, biblical principles. Like, if I teach my child that if you do this, there's a consequence afterward, well, that, that's really a biblical principle. They're just kind of pretending that it was an original idea. Um, this comes up in a lot of different areas, uh, with regard to some of these topics that we talk about. Um, uh, we talked about this when we were looking at kind of the history of how all these things came about. People said, you know what? People are having problems. As we moved into the Industrial Revolution and businesses started trying to understand why are my workers not showing up on time? Why do they seem stressed or just having a difficulty at work? So they brought people in to try to help explain why these things were the way that they were. And a lot of the people that they brought in to do that, for the most part, were people who had been trained in secular approaches to life and evolutionary models and all of these sorts of things. And so there sort of grew up this idea that there's the expert, and if you talk to the expert, the expert can help you work through whatever issue you're going through. And so, yeah, I mean, you can go to church if you want to, but the... The church, the Bible, God, I mean, that's good. I'm good. I'm happy for you. But, but they don't really have the answers to the complex issues of life. They're building the house over there. So if you hear any rumbling, nothing's falling down in here anyway, as far as I know. Um, so I, it's one of those things. Turn to Second Peter 1.3. I want us to read that real quickly. Who would like to read that for us? Second Peter, uh, maybe two and three. Yes, go ahead. One, two, and three. Okay. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So, without doing the fallacy of making it say more than it actually says, if I have a question about what I should do in a particular situation, where should I go? The Bible, the Scriptures. Um, and people will immediately potentially raise an objection like, well, the Bible doesn't tell me how to do my physics homework. Well, is physics homework primarily pertaining to life and godliness? Not necessarily. Can you be living your life in a godly way even if you don't know how to do your physics homework? Yes. Will you pass the class? Probably not. But that's not the purpose of what the Bible is designed to do. But it can help you respect your professor, be a godly testimony to your classmates, all of those sorts of things, the essential things of life, are found in Scripture, and that's something that we really have to be convinced of in contrast to an idea that says you need the Bible plus five keys to success. You need the Bible plus six secrets of the person who will figure out life and do well in it. You know, the Bible is sufficient. Okay? 
So how should we think about the simple declaration of Jesus that people function in a relatively straightforward way? The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why then do we have feelings or thoughts or do things that seem not to fit with the simplicity of Luke 6.45? I am a Christian, but then I sin in some way. Or I love God, but then I speak rudely to a fellow person. So the, that passage that he refers to seems to basically say that you have two circles. You have good and you have evil, Right? James kind of said this too, right? Out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be this way. Good trees make good fruit. Bad trees make bad fruit. You shouldn't have a good tree making bad fruit or a bad tree making good fruit. So, why does the Bible speak of it as though it's this simple, even though it sometimes doesn't seem that simple? Paul? Okay. Right. And I would say that um, uh, maybe you heard the story of the two wolves. Right. So it's not that's that's not necessarily a biblical perspective on it. Like some people will say, well, there's like there's these two dogs in your heart, right? The bad dog and the good dog, and whichever dog you feed more gets stronger and and sort of you know, pushes the other one out of the way. I think we have to remember that for the Christian, this is the one that God has said will prevail. The challenge is that there's still a lot of remnants of this, even though we've trusted Christ, maybe even though we've been following God for a long time, there's still these tendencies to give in to temptation or to sin or all these sorts of things. And so we'll get into some of the more how all these things fit together as we proceed through. But at the bottom line, we should recognize that it is a simple thing. Sometimes we want to make excuses for why we're doing something or all that kind of thing. It really boils down to, am I going to please God or am I please myself? There's not really more to it than that. We can go into all of the stuff that's behind the scenes leading up to that point, but when we come to the point of the decision, it's basically, am I going to do what God wants, or am I going to do what I want? So then the next quote there at the top of the second column, my goal is to give a theological vision of how faith in Christ restores the dynamic human heart and a practical vision of how to help people join in on the process. Theology as revealed in Scripture supplies the categories for people to understand their own experience. The authority lies with Scripture, not with personal perception. All right. Let's talk for a second about biblical versus extra-biblical categories. What are some words that people in the world around us who maybe don't have any connection with the church use to describe the problems of their lives. 
Okay, when we talk about society, but like, give me a specific label, like, okay. So we could have something like depression. What are some other words that are used to describe problems of life? Okay, anxious, uh, things with communication, uh, stress, all right. What about something like cheating? That come up a lot. Okay. What? Yeah, well, that's good. <laughs> so, what are some of the other words that we use to describe the problems that go on in people's lives? Just that society would use in general. Okay. Yeah. So we could, you know, just kind of lump that all under substances. Okay. Okay, yeah. Um, what else? What are some of the other problems, the other ways that people describe their problems? Okay, phobias. How many of you love spiders? No? Okay. <laughs> I was... What's that? Okay. Feelings, feelings, emotions, okay, so words like crazy or, um, what's that? Yeah, sometimes people use words like dissociation, delusion, um, sometimes people use a word like bipolar, for example. Um, uh, if someone has a problem with, with stealing, what's the secular word for that? Okay. Alright, so I think we've got enough examples there. In the, in the quote there he says that biblical theology supplies categories for us to understand our own experience. So, um, let's start with this one because this is an easy one. Cheating, whether it be in context of relationships or in context of your work or in context of academics, what does the Bible call cheating? Okay, what did you say, Bruce? Okay, right. So, not loving neighbor, okay. Uh, what are some specific words? So, if we talk about, if, if so, um, like in a business context, they'll talk about absenteeism from work. What would be the biblical word that would describe that? Okay, laziness, yeah. So, laziness, potentially. There's other factors sometimes. What's that? Okay, what does the Bible call un, un, inappropriate ambition? Discontent or maybe greed? Okay, greed, uh, lack of contentment. Okay, it could be described as stealing. Um, what, um, what about cheating in the context of a relationship? What does the Bible call that? Adultery. 
does this list of words sound nicer or less nice than this word? Less nice. But which one is more helpful for actually dealing with it? The ones over here. Because if I just have a problem with cheating, sometimes I get the idea I'm just like, it's who I am. I can't change it. It's just what I am. But if the Bible says laziness, how does the lazy person fix his laziness? What's that? Okay. But think about the passage in Proverbs. What does it say? Okay. But in Proverbs, that's in 1 Thessalonians. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Go outside. Look at the ant. Does the ant sit in its basement waiting for somebody to bring everything he wants to him? No. The ant gets out there and drags the pile of food that's bigger than its entire body. Get up. Do something. That's, that, that doesn't make me feel good about myself. But there's hope for change in that. What about greed? I just, I just like buying stuff. Well, sometimes the Bible says that's because you're greedy. And greedy doesn't, greedy is like a not make you feel good kind of word. That person's greedy. Right. Right. And what does the Bible say in response to greed? Be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It says, the person who is characterized by greed is practicing a kind of idolatry, and if that is the sum total of your life, then you may not really know God. I mean, those are like sobering truths to think about, but they're also helpful truths, because if you're just like, I don't understand why I keep getting all this stuff and it doesn't make me happy, the Bible says, because stuff doesn't make you happy, because you're not meant to worship things, because you're practicing idolatry, these are so things that lead to solutions. And so, when we look at what is going on in our lives, we have to keep coming back and say, so what are the biblical categories that describe my experience? So let's take a more complicated one, like bipolar. Someone define that for me. Okay. How do they know what the level is supposed to be? Okay. Right. So, how many of you have ever, um, how many have ever listened to a CD that is um, not normalized, like it, it goes really hot, really loud and really soft and goes back and forth. Can that be frustrating? Does it necessarily mean that it's broken? Are there any examples in Scripture of people who had really, have had heights of joy and depths of despair, if you will? Jeremiah went through, I think we would say, depths of despair. David, what's that? Job. Um, another one would be Elijah. I'm the only one left. Um, what about heights of joy? 
probably David for that one as well, some of the things we see in the Psalms. Um, Paul and John both say they were caught up into heaven. They saw visions of ecstasy and you know, all those sorts of things. Um, Isaiah, yes, had great visions, amazing things. So, the thing that I would challenge us to think about is there is probably a case to be made that when the levels of certain chemicals in our body are way off, things don't work right. I mean, if your thyroid is not functioning properly, um, it will affect uh, how you digest food. It will affect whether you can stay awake. I mean, all those sorts of things. The challenge with a lot of the things that are related to our brains and a lot of things that sort of fall in this category of some of these things here is that even though doctors, psychiatrists, etc., sometimes present it as though all of these things are proven facts, sometimes they're guessing as much as we are. So I say that to say, there are probably cases where there needs to be some kind of intervention. There are certain drugs that if you just say, I'm going to quit cold turkey, it probably will kill you. There are other ones where it will make you exceedingly miserable, but it will not kill you. And the same is true of different circumstances with regard to some of the challenges and struggles of our hearts. Um, we need to recognize that sometimes we are diagnosing or being diagnosed with certain things that are actually spiritual problems. Now we're going to get in as we go through the book, we're going to get to the point about the fact that our, our, our hearts are in the context of a physical body. And sometimes our physical body doesn't do what it's supposed to do. There's things like with, with seizures, with trauma to the brain, with all of these sorts of things that are clear and identifiable things that you can see on a scan, this thing happens, and then all of this cascade effect happens, and it's clearly tied to something where the body's not working the way that it's supposed to do. And I know some of you go through that, and I'm not trying to minimize that at all, and I'm recognizing that that's just a medical fact. The question I want us to think about is, can I please God even in the midst of a circumstance like that? Yes. Can it be maybe harder for someone going through something like that than for someone where everything is operating more or less normally? Yes. But there is hope for all of us regardless of what is going on in our lives. But the hope comes at least in large part through putting things in biblical categories. Had this discussion with Maggie after her brain surgery. She had a very short fuse right after her surgery. There was a lot of stuff happened in her brain. And there were times when she would just be really mad and she would scream mostly at Kelly. I felt bad because it wasn't usually at me. But, and I would come to her and I would say, you cannot talk to mommy that way. I know this is so hard for you right now. Why can't you talk to mommy that way? Because God says, children, obey your parents, honor your parents. 
and if the Bible is sufficient for life and godliness, and if God has promised to be there to help us to change, then even in the midst of overwhelming circumstances, He's going to do that. But, if I say, I have a condition, and it's, none of it has anything to do with me, and I can't control it at all, there's not much room for hope and change. And so there's a biblical balance between recognizing there's things that can be wrongs with our bodies and recognizing that sometimes, in some cases, people have found it easier to turn to something outside of God's solutions, whether it be food or alcohol or medication or all of these sorts of things, because it's easier to do that than it is to deal with the circumstances that I have made particular sinful choices that have led to the way that I feel or am responding in a particular situation. And this is complex. It's not one size fits all. We need wisdom. My point is that God has answers and we've got to look for His answers instead of relying simply on what's around us in the world. So, this, we kind of answer this question, what, do, what beliefs do people have that can be in conflict with the Bible and define how they perceive themselves, their experiences, or other people? A lot of it boils down to extra-biblical explanations for what's going on. Um, there have been times when I didn't want to focus on what I was supposed to do. I'm sure, to a greater or lesser degree, all of us struggle with that, right? And sometimes that gets classified as ADD or ADHD. And in certain extreme cases, there is legitimately something going on in someone's brain that makes it very hard for them to focus. Things related to traumatic brain injuries or things that happen when they're a baby or those sorts of things. But for your average child who doesn't want to focus and doesn't want to do what he's supposed to do, I mean, the joke is you're going on a long trip, I don't want my kid to act up, just give him a little bit of Benadryl. I mean, is that the right solution, you know? Is that easier? Yeah. Is that the right solution? No. And so we can have the idea that the thing, for example, here's, here's, here's one really challenging thing to think about. Our society wants to avoid discomfort, right? We have air conditioners, we have things to make us feel sleepy, we have things to make us feel awake, we have all of these things where we can manipulate our circumstances and our bodies in a way that makes life work better for us. And then we bump up against a passage of scripture that says those who live godly in this world will face persecution. And we say, that doesn't fit very well with me wanting to live life in a way that is comfortable. So we have a choice to make. Do I accept what the Bible says that life will not always be easy for the Christian? 
Or do I say, I have access to all these things, I can, I can make it work even though God said it's over this way? These are the challenges that we face. So, there's examples of people suffering in the Bible. And that suffering accomplishes certain things in their lives. And if they had immediately been able to remove that suffering, there's a sense in which that would have short-circuited what God was trying to accomplish in their lives. Am I saying you should never take something to make your headache go away? No. But I am saying if we treat every spiritual time of testing and struggle as though it's something that we should see as a curse and something to avoid at all costs, we may be missing the point of what God's doing in our lives. There's many other examples of where there's statements of Scripture that are in conflict with common attitudes in our society, and we have to always be ready to submit to what Scripture says as being the truth, even if it seems like everybody else around us has the right idea. God made the world. Well, scientists believe as a consensus that the world came about by explosion, implosion, whatever you want to call it, X number of billion years ago. Okay? Those are opposing statements. You cannot say God made it in a week and it came about by chance however many billion years ago. You cannot believe both things. People try to put them together, but they don't fit together for a variety of reasons. Are we going to go with what God has said or are we going to go with what everybody around us is saying? There is a growing trend in our society today that say that certain behaviors are a biological fact. And there may come a time when saying they're not a biological fact lands you in jail or other penalties. Are we going to agree with what the Bible says is true or are we going to agree with what the prevailing attitudes of society are? We must let Bi the Bible define the categories of our experience because then, only then, are we able to change. Personal ministry should be directed to the full breadth of how the heart functions. For example, the dynamic heart does more than think, therefore change takes more than knowing the right information. When you sin, how many times when you sin is the reason that you sin I didn't know better. If we have been exposed to the Bible with any degree of consistency, the problem is hardly ever, I didn't know what God wanted me to do. The challenge for me then is, we're having a kind of a lecture, maybe a little bit of a discussion, but your primary problem when it comes to change is not that you don't know most of the things that we're talking about. So look at the next quote. The heart has reasons for its desires and feelings, even when they seem powerful, mysterious, and overwhelming. Finally, the dynamic heart does more than just choose, therefore change is more than making the right decisions. So, there's three things that we have to work through. One is, me just telling you stuff is not necessarily going to help you change and grow. 
there's certain things you have to know in order to please God. We have to start with information, with truth. So I'm not saying forget the truth part of things. I'm just saying having the truth but never acting on it is not going to help us do what God wants us to do. Or there's the idea of, well, I just have these feelings and these emotions and I have no idea why I have them, so I'm going to either try to suppress them or ignore them or they just can't be explained. Well, part of what we're going to go through in this book is thinking about how they arise in different situations so we can understand them better, so we can say, how can I please God with regard to my affections, my emotions, those sorts of things. The last thing that he says in the, that quote that I just read is that change is just more than making the right decisions. It is tempting for us to think that biblical change is, I have this bad habit, I put off this bad habit, and I put on this good habit, and now everything works the way that it's supposed to work. But the problem is that it's not just affecting our will, but there are also thoughts and desires that coincide with that, and so I can't just fix this part and expect that these two are automatically going to fall into place. And so when we come to any specific sin or any specific point of obedience, we have to address all of those things so that we can properly change. Let's take the example from, I think it's Ephesians 4, where it talks about the person who steals. Why does he steal? He wanted something. Okay? There's the desire part of it. What do you think he was going through his mind? Okay, how? But even more basically, it's okay for me to do this, perhaps, right? Yeah. So there's a false thing that he's thinking. There's a wrong desire that he's acting upon. And so when he comes to the point of actually stealing... We're like, all right, stop stealing. But if we don't address those underlying things, we're not helping him. But in the passage, notice what it says. It says, let the one who steals stop stealing, start working in order that he may give. He becomes convinced in his thoughts that it's wrong to steal. He becomes transformed in his desire to give instead of to take. And then he's able to actually sustain the working instead of the stealing. And so I don't think it's reading too much into that passage to say that biblical change involves our thinking, our desires, and our will in order to have successful change. So um, we just need to be careful when we're looking at some of these things that we're not picking out the one that's most comfortable for us. Academic people tend to be like, fix their thinking. Let's have more lectures. Let's just talk about this more. Practical people tend to be like, all right, let's just do this. Stop doing the bad thing. Start doing the right thing. People who are more emotional are just like, but I feel this way about it. We need to take all of those perspectives and recognize all of them are incomplete by themselves and say, God wants to transform the entirety of our being. Not just what I do, not just what I think, not just what I want, but all of those things so that I go from being someone who thinks falsehood, wants sin, and does sin,
to someone who thinks truth, wants what God wants, and does what God wants. It, it, the getting from there to there is not as simple as I just made it sound. But that's what God wants to do in us, and that's hopefully what we'll see as we continue to go through here. So, um, any questions that come to your mind as we've talked through some of the things this morning? If nothing else, hopefully we are reminded God has answers, there is hope for us to change, and God is working to transform all of us. Not just, I checked a box and now I'm on my way to heaven and everything continues the way that it was, but Jesus created us in Him before the world began so that we would walk in good works. And God can help us to do that as he transforms the entirety of who we are. Let's pray. Lord, our hearts are complex. Sometimes we, people are like, why'd you do that? And we say, I, I don't know. And so certainly we can get hung up on trying to overanalyze ourselves. But we need to do some self-analysis and say, how have you put us together? What things in the aspects of who we are as people do not line up in any given situation with what would be honoring to you? Having confidence that you have the ability to help us change, that your spirit is at work in us, that your word is powerful and describes the glorious hope that not only will we be in your presence someday, but that we can experience your presence and be changed into your likeness even here and now. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to consider these things this week. And as we consider to uh, continue to work through these things, they would help us to, to recognize when maybe our ideas about things don't line up with the Scripture um, and be willing to put off things in our thinking, in our desires, in our actions, so that we might be more like Christ because that's really the ultimate goal. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.